When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So today I want to take some time to talk about the gold and silver markets and, well, you know, as the title of the video suggests, why I think they're underpriced. And, and of course, some of you guys are going to be thinking, like, is this something new? You're preaching to the choir here. And obviously I've, I've been a long-term silver and gold bull, not only in just in terms of, of appreciating value, but if, but if, uh, or purchasing power, but if nothing else, uh, a great way to to hedge, a great way to preserve your wealth, etc. But I'm also talking about the medium term and even the short term. What's happened in the last 24, last 48 hours here, and why I think they're they're underpriced in those terms as well. I think the markets um, there's a level of of manipulation and whatnot, but but I think there's also just a they haven't quite woken up to the reality of of uh, where. <laughs> central bank policy is and and where global economic growth is uh, from here going forward. So a lot of stuff talked about the Fed, um, some various economic uh, currency issues, as well as some geopolitical issues that all kind of tie into this conversation of silver and gold. So first of all, the Fed. So yesterday, of course, was the the announcement day for the March FOMC meeting. They give out their statement. Jerome Powell goes up in front of the media, answers some questions, etc. And, you know, I'd say that most people interpreted it as uh, dovish, but maybe a little more dovish than expected. Uh, basically, you know, the the what they say, and of course, this is always subject to change. I mean, the Fed always changes where they are uh, three months, six months, etc., which, you know, is... I mean, that's a Fed, I guess. Uh, there's a lot to say about that. But basically what they're saying here is that we're, we're done with rate hikes for the year, maybe one in 2020, and I'll get to the possibility of that later on. Um, and then in terms of quantitative tightening, uh, beginning in March, we're going to uh, uh, slow down the rate in which we're reducing our, um, our unwind or reducing our balance sheet. Uh, I think it was the Treasuries, if I remember correctly. Currently, they're at a $30 billion a month pace. Um, that's 30 of the total $50 billion that they unwind each month, or at least uh, that's what they cap it out. Sometimes it doesn't always make that, that cap. But beginning in May, uh, they're, they're going to be cutting that half to, to $15 billion, ultimately planning on ending it in September of this year. Uh, but they're going to, at that point, continue to uh, unwind their mortgage-backed securities, potentially even selling them in the future. Not to reduce their balance sheet, but to then replace those with uh, bonds, with U.S. Treasury bonds. So, again, dovish, and this is something I've talked about for a long time now, this pivot towards the end of Q, uh, QT, um, this this pause in terms of interest rates. So, you know, technically speaking, we're, we're, we're still not at the pause, uh, the pause in Fed monetary policy. Yes, they, they've paused with interest rates, and they'll probably continue to... Uh, for the foreseeable future, per- perhaps forever, who knows? Uh, quantitative tightening is going to be ongoing for another, you know, six months. So technically, still tightening, but uh, I guess a taper of their tightening, eventually moving to a, um, you know, static, I guess, non-tightening, non-easing policy. And 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 again, bring this back to to the dollar and and silver and gold. You know, they reacted initially, kind of how you'd expect them to. Gold was up 
a, a pretty healthy amount. I think prior to the announcement is below 1300, which I've been talking about a lot lately has kind of been a key level. Uh, and, and it finished the day above 1300. And, you know, as I record this, I believe still above 1300 silver, um, similar, you know, action moved up on, on the announcement and the dollar moved down. But, but what's really interesting. And again, this goes into my whole underpriced, uh, thesis of this video is that since then gold has pulled back a fair amount and silver as well. And the dollar has returned pretty close to where it was, uh, you know, prior to the fed announcement and, that doesn't quite make sense to me. Now, maybe, you know, we're overanalyzing this and maybe this was just a bit of a delayed version of the, uh, what is it, uh, buy the rumor, sell the news type deal for for silver and gold. It was just delayed a little bit longer than than usual. Uh, but but this is, I, I don't think we should make any mistake that this is a capitulation by the Fed, right? And and this is in a this is one in a series of long, a long list of capitulations that the Fed has, um been a part of during the last 10 years, uh, whether it is to to um, ultimately unwind the balance sheet or even just to, to you know, not continue to do more QE during during the, during the Bernanke era or the Yellen era and, and her um, you know taking forever to raise interest rates. And, and now it's Powell's turn to, to also capitulate. But I think it's also too important to understand that this is a global trend right now, capitulation of governments and central banks throwing in the towel. We're seeing it from the from China and and the mass amount of easing and and injection of credit that we've seen in their country thus far, especially in January of this year. Not so much in February. Uh, we're 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 seeing it from the ECB, you know, a, a mere couple months after ending their QE program, um, they're instituting some easing policies once again. Um, it, it's it's a global trend. And I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. And I think that's what, you know, that's the big thing that markets have to realize that this Fed uh, capitulation, this Fed pivot towards a more dovish stance and, and make no mistake is eventually going to lead to rate cuts, cuts and, and QE and whatnot. This is a bigger trend here. And, and, you know, even referring to like the stock market, I don't want to make this a stock discussion, but even that is just, it, it's silly. I mean, why is it that Powell is uh, cutting rates? Or, or I shouldn't say cutting rates. Why is he pivoting? Why is he ending QT? Why are they not raising rates again? And, and you know, he can put whatever statement out there about inflation, how it's whatever. But, you know, primarily I would say that it's it's economic worries, right? It's certainly not the stock market at this point. Is the stock market is, and unless they're worried about the stock market doing what it did, you know, in the second half or the last quarter, 2018, once again. But but it's it's clearly economic problems, in the U.S. and abroad, and and yet the market, the stock market, didn't crash on this news. They're rallying, and and it really makes you wonder. You know, what is the stock market really reflective of? Is it reflective of liquidity, and the easiness of money, and 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 the the easiness of financial conditions, or is it reflective of the U.S. economy? And on days like this, it would lead me. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. To believe that it's certainly reflective of the former, right? Certainly not the U.S. economy. And, of course, many of us have come to that conclusion for a long time that 
the the high valuations in the stock market are, are merely just a product of liquidity, of easy money conditions, et cetera, et cetera, the punch bowl, if you will. But again, how much longer can this go on? And that's really the 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 main piece of this this argument that I'm making here is silver and gold are, are are undervalued right now because market participants have to wake up and realize that that we're moving back to easing. So automatically, that's going to mean a weaker dollar. It's going to mean more inflation. That that's the trend globally. That globally, we're moving into weaker economic growth and to easier monetary policy. I don't see how that's going to be stocks bullish, or at least bullish for, for profits, never mind what the stock market is doing, bullish for corporate profits. I don't see how a recession, which will lead to massive amounts of deficit spending, is somehow bullish for government bonds. I don't see how it's bullish for uh, uh, the, the credit sector, corporate debt or consumer debt or whatever. I just don't see how that is. And yet that's how the market is interpreting at this point. And yet silver and gold bid up somewhat on this news and and have since fallen i have lost a fair amount of those gains um they're looking really underpriced right now and 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 i think that this you know between now and i would say may you know i I wouldn't be surprised if we saw gold um realize kind of wake up to this it it, it is still an inflection point If, if gold can't hold 1300 we'll see we'll see what the dollar does and whatnot you know markets can remain How's it go? Irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see gold retest um, its its uh, you know thirteen fifty, thirteen sixty here between now and I'd say May or 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 June. You know before the summer time, which you know we might see them pull back somewhat or stay within this range. But I, I think they're underpriced right now, and and I and I and I think the markets are going to wake up to this pretty quickly. You know the other thing, you know bringing in. You know, I'm talking about global economies here and, and global monetary and fiscal policy. Uh, the other thing that we have to keep in mind is what's going on right now in the UK and, and their Brexit situation. This is, you know, who knows? Within a day or two, this might be, you know, resolved for the short term. But as we get closer and closer to the end of March, which is when um, the the uh, tentatively when the UK is supposed to end the, or leave the EU, uh, they they still don't really have a deal in place for for a smooth exit, smooth Brexit, um, and they don't have a deal in place to extend that deadline either. Now, there's a very good chance, and again, a day or two from now, this could be resolved for the short term. There's a very good chance that a deal will be made that both the UK and the EU agree to, or they're going to delay it, delay it till May, delay it till end of this year or something, something like that. And, uh, you know, quote unquote disaster averted. But, but if that doesn't happen, if, you know, we're, we're getting to closer and closer to that day, uh, it's become riskier and riskier for markets. And, and this would be something to keep an eye on in terms of silver and gold. I remind you that it was the original Brexit vote that sent silver and gold so high, uh, back in uh, the summer 2016, um, and a hard Brexit, a surprise hard Brexit, I think it'd be a surprise for most, could have a potential factor. Never mind. This, this is another big takeaway of, of, I guess, this video and, and a lot of kind of where I see things going is never mind what what uh, pound weakness will mean for, for the dollar and, and, and some potential strength, right? Or EU, or, or sorry, I should say euro weakness and, and dollar strength. Um, 
you know, in theory, dollar strength would drive silver and gold down. And so you might see silver and gold rise more in those currencies. I should say that you probably will. But again, it was a similar situation back in the summer 2016. When, in theory, you should see the euro and the pound suffering, the dollar strong, and yet you saw silver and gold do very well in that environment too. And, and I think that, that understanding that dynamic you know, extends beyond just Brexit. I think it extends beyond just the Europe, the EU, UK, and the United States. I think it extends into to Canada, Australia, Japan, South Korea, China, etc., uh, of, of why the, the global economy can be going down into a recession. The Bank of Japan, China, and, and their government, Central Bank, uh, the UK, EU, etc., everybody else but the United States, can engage in much looser uh, monetary policy, much more dovish policy. I'm not saying this is for sure how it's going to play out, but it may be headed in this direction. Thus, making the dollar once again the cleanest shirt in, in the pile of dirty laundry. And we could see some dollar strength, right? We could see the dollar top whatever you know, number you have in mind, 100, 105. And yet we can still see silver and gold perform well in that environment. I tend to be doubtful of that. You know, I, I think, you know, I've said this for a long time, that you know, the, the, the U.S. economy, um, the Fed, has a lot more easing to do to, to kind of catch up with the rest of the world's easing. And I think eventually that's going to happen. You know, this, this coordinated global... Um, economic, uh, you know, monetary stimulus, um, both both at the fiscal and at monetary level, I should say, it it hasn't necessarily been coordinated. Uh, oftentimes, it's been that that one central bank will be tightening while another one is easing, and the Fed is just coming to the end of their tightening. And I don't have a whole lot of confidence that these other central banks can at all move to a tighter policy. But eventually, it's going to be the Fed's turn to to pick up the slack and and ease their policy potentially while the ECB. Bank of Japan, China, are are not being as aggressive with their easing policies. So, again, we could also see the dollar sink quite a bit um, here in the future. Uh, so, again, going back to, to why I think silver and gold are underpriced, yeah, long term, obviously, there's there's a ton of arguments that I've gone over over and over in my videos, podcasts in the past as to why I think the dollar is. Er. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Uh, overvalued and why silver and gold are, are underpriced. But... Over the short term here, I think traders are really missing some big points here of, of this Fed capitulation. Um, the, the stock market can act like this is this is all hunky dory or that you know everything's back to how it should be in the world, right? Uh, the Fed's not tightening anymore, and thus you know the number one threat to to the market going up is no longer in play. But in reality, the number one threat to the market not going up is or should be the economy, right? Consumer demand, uh, corporate profits, etc. So. That's just really coming into play now. Another thing to keep in mind in terms of this economic growth picture here in the United States, uh, two points real quick here, is that the Fed, yes, is moving towards pausing their tightening, but they haven't started easing yet. 
that means all the tightening they've done up to this point in terms of removing liquidity from the system via QT or just raising interest rates in general, that's going to continue to drag the economy, especially given our, our current debt load. The other thing that will be dragging our economy through the end of 2019 is, again, these other countries around the world, China, EU, etc. cetera, uh, we, we, we are not an island, right? Um, maybe in the past, it's been the case that the U.S. has been uh the the country that you know how's it go when when uh the u.s sneezes rest of the world catches a cold and that it's you know it has it it is true that it's been i think going on a hundred years it's you know since before world war ii i think was the last time that the u.s went into recession because of somewhere else you know we we imported a recession from abroad uh, but don't discount that that possibility. I, I just don't buy it with the globalization that we've seen in the world today, that the EU uh, could you know, somehow slip into a deep recession. China could be uh, serious, seeing a serious decline in their growth rate, and somehow the U.S. is doing just fine. I don't buy that for one minute. So, um, you know, the final thing, I, I could, just because I brought this up at the beginning, the final thing I want to talk about was this idea that that the Fed can somehow raise rates again that that they can pause for like potentially an entire year right uh, they basically said no more rate hikes this year we're going to end qt but maybe a rate hike next year it's it's so baloney because if you look in the past i think it's the last three times that they've done this um they've they've never paused and then successfully raised rates like a, you know a year i can't remember what the time span is later it's always been that they pause probably for a while six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever. And then they cut, then they ease because of a recession. And I think that's what we're coming. I think it's me no different this time around. The Fed can maybe be a little more proactive this time around and maybe cut rates um, prior to everything absolutely blowing up in their face. Uh, but I, I still think we're moving into that that realm. I mean, it's, it's going to be, I think, an acute period of, of pretty significant economic downturn and and you know beyond that it's not you know as long as central banks and governments continue on their current path the 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 future path for the u.s economy and and much of the global economy is going to be secular stagnation and that might be you know in terms of of politics in terms of of society and and our opinion of everything ranging from what's the role of government to the banking sector to the stock market etc uh, that stagnation is potentially going to be just as damaging as, as an acute recession or depression that lasts a couple of years, right? Um, so by no means something to look forward to. There's there's a way out of this, right? And, and it'd be extremely painful, but the way out of this would be to let things crash, to tighten monetary policy and let things pop for for bad debt, malinvestments to... to race off the balance sheet for for bad corporations uh zombie corporations and banks and whatnot to collapse you know and that might necessitate that the the financial world as we know it coming to an end or or moving into a very deep recession um it would be painful it'd be like i said a deep recession or deep depression but there would be you know light at the end of the tunnel potentially very strong growth after that um, but central bankers, governments, they're choosing the alternative they have for many years, and that is lower and lower growth on a long-term basis. Yes, risk of recession and depression, you know, for for a shorter amount of time, but 
decades out into the future, we're talking about lower and lower growth and more and more wealth inequality and a shrinking middle class, etc. So again, talking about silver and gold here, this is you know, a big part of why I'm such a big believer in silver and gold when it comes to wealth preservation, uh, because, you know, the, the, the end result of this is going to be uh, uh, inflation. It's going to be uh, falling wages or, or stagnating wages from the middle class. It's going to be um, increasing political and geopolitical risks. And silver and gold just seem like the perfect hedge. Again, going back to all those other assets I said earlier, whether it's currencies, uh, the U.S. dollar, the stock market, the credit markets, the bond markets. I don't see how what's going right now on right now in the last 24 or 48 hours is bullish for those markets. Um, the the path that we're on right now seems to be uh, a scenario in which silver and gold are a good asset to own. Of course, none of this should be taken as an investment advice. Simply one man's opinion. I always put that as a disclaimer in the the description of my my videos and podcasts, but something important to keep in mind. As always, if you enjoyed this video, if you enjoyed this podcast, let me know down below in the comment section. If you're over in the podcast world, leave me a review if if you feel led to do so. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video and listening to this podcast, and God bless.